This is the Master of Cinema Cast. My name is Joachim. And my name is Tom. And today we will be talking about Stanley Dernan's Two for the Road, a favourite of mine, definitely, and one fitting for the summer season, don't you think? Oh, certainly, yeah. And this is, I, I can only kind of reiterate, this is one of my favourite films I think that's ever actually come out in the collection. So mm. I think we could be kind of waxing lyrical on this one. It's also my favourite film about a really crap relationship as well. So. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> But before we get into that, there was a new announcement. We kind of knew about this one uh, last year, I remember, in the Cannes Film Festival, I think. Dragon In from King Hu, a wuxia film from a 1967 Taiwanese film. I don't think I've heard about this one before it was announced. I know that uh, James Marsh, he has seen it, and he was quite a fan of it, so... Yeah, I, I know nothing about it. Um, I, I Are you into, it. like, wuxia films? Not really, no. I have no. to be brutally honest with you. I mean, I... I I guess I'm. I mean, would you kind of count something like House of the Flying Dagger? No, no. Right, okay. That shows my complete utter kind of ignorance on this. Uh, on well, this genre. Yeah, I mean, like you could, but uh, Wuxia film for me is like uh, the Shaw Brothers and the Eighth Diagram Pole Fighter and um, the uh, Thirty Six Chamber Shaolin. Okay, uh, which is absolutely brilliant. So, like, any disc that has Reza on it, that's a Wuxia film. <laughs> Okie dokie. Well, that's news to me. I've, I, I've, like I said, I've never seen any of these types of things. I kind of, I mean, I, I guess it sounds to, totally uh, ignorant, but my, my sort of introduction to kind of martial arts, that type of film came in the form of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Before that, I didn't, mm. I didn't go through kind of like the Jackie Chan phase or anything like that when I was, nah. was at school. And it, you know, I, I, re- I really loved that film, and I kind of got into a few of them, but I found... Because kind of, the everything kind of post two thousand Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon, they all kind of began to blur into one, and I didn't sort of explore the kind of the various subgenres within that kind of genre, as it were. And this is just mm. one of those ones I've just never really got around to watching. I, I should do really because I, you know, I, I thoroughly enjoy them. So. Yeah, yeah, there are some quite brilliant films in there. There are some rather weak ones as well. It's like um, almost like an exploitation genre. Yeah, it's, 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 I mean, I think we discussed this actually. It seems sometimes like I mean those kind of samurai films from the 50s and 60s that Criterion loves so much, yeah. a lot of them just blur into one Yeah, for me, I, I, I find. And I, I kind of always, I think I, tr- I think I try and like them more than I actually do. Mm. And, and I sort of think, oh, it's dead cool, you know, seeing the swords and the kind of the rain and all that kind of thing. But <laughs> I often find when I'm watching them, I'm sort of thinking, oh, who am I actually kidding here? You know, and it's, I guess it's, you have to kind of tune in sometimes perhaps to the kind of the mm. nuances of these types of genres to really appreciate them in the way that it should. And yeah, for me, that hasn't really happened as yet. It will be getting a dual format release on the 28th of September. This is number uh, spine number 129. And the last spine number we had was 120. So that means there are eight spine numbers between that. So maybe we'll be seeing a box set or something in the near future. I don't know. Yeah, I hope so. I want one of those, I want one of those, those world cinema box yeah, set yeah. type things again. Um, yeah, you know, I love those type. Those I love that release, and I'd certainly like to see another one of those kind of pop up mm. in the collection. Okay, have you been going to the cinemas now in the summer, or are you more like a vacationer, like the couple in the movie? Um, do you know what? I've not. I've actually discovered something quite brilliant. Um, it came up as an app on my Amazon Fire TV, and it's the Kuzon Home Cinema app, mm. and you can basically rent films to watch at home that you could go to the cinema to watch at the same time. You know, they're going to basically do the same kind of thing. And I've, I've, I've rented a couple of films from that, um, things like Timbuktu and that Electric Boogaloo, the story of canon films. Mm. 
Um, and they've got some other releases on there. And they the price ranges from about £6 to £10. But if I go and watch them at the cinema, they cost like £8.50 or something like that. So it's been a bit strange, but I, I, I can see myself kind of going in that direction a little bit more. Yeah. Um, purely because it actually you have the convenience of being able to watch it when you want and you can rent them for 48 hours. Um, the price point is virtually the same as going to the cinema. Mm. Um, and I, I can sort of see that, yeah. And, I, yeah, obviously, well, until it ha- my projector has had to go be fixed this week, so I'm kind of projectorless at the moment. But mm. I was sort of thinking about it. If they, you know, I have you know, a big enough screen up there, I can drink beer whilst I'm watching films. <laughs> I don't... I, the, my last few trips to the cinema have been blighted by... Noisy eaters, talkers, fidgeters, and you know, the whole sort of theatre. I mean, when I went to go and watch Mad Max, I, it was just torturous, really. The cinema was quite full, and there's all these kind of people being loud and annoying. And I don't know whether it's because I'm getting older and less tolerant, or or just seems to be kind of quite unlucky. But in Manchester, we've just had um, a new kind of uh, a project called Home, which is kind of where all the art house stuff is going on. And it's a fantastic building. It's got bigger screens than what it used to have and things like that and i haven't ventured down there i might go down there tomorrow and watch the new amy winehouse film just to see what it's like but Mm. i can see my kind of theatrical experiences as it were um kind of becoming more about going up to my loft to watch them and not having to deal with all that kind of nonsense and i think i'm going to kind of see going to cinema more as kind of getting getting rare but going out for the kind of big films like we wanted to go watch interstellar on imax and things like that going to see film you know, make a bit of a day of it you know have a meal or something and go out for drinks afterwards you know sort of make it a bit i don't know a bit more of a special occasion really but there's not really been much actually come out this summer that has hmm. really kind of grabbed me certainly in the kind of the hollywood blockbuster front um yeah. I, know, I know we're sort of heading into that that thing and i mean i, I couldn't be done with things like terminator i just <sighs> The, the trailer was just I don't care if people say it's better I was like Ugh. Jurassic World again I was just like well, you know so yeah, yeah it's it's been, I, the, the next big theatrical trip to the cinema I literally can't wait for Star Wars so yeah that's how I'm sort of am at the moment are you kind of winding mm-hmm. down a little bit on the cinema thing? well I've been living in the city with my girlfriend because I was working there for the summer and um, it was just more convenient closer to the workplace and she has a cinema like two blocks from her apartment so i find myself before going to work or later in the evening when she's at school or studying or at work i find myself just going down to the cinema alone and trying to find something that interests me i did actually go see magic mike xxl by myself um is there something you need to tell your girlfriend here you're okay, you know? <laughs> i know um but truth be told it was one of the best experiences i've had it was pure enjoyment pure like glee mm. i was sitting there and being thoroughly entertained for yep. about two hours and it was a really good like feel-good movie that i yep. hadn't had in a long while and it was like what i would hope entourage would continue to be but yep. It isn't anymore. It's all about this camaraderie, and it was just a really like beautiful celebratory film, and completely caught me by surprise. Uh, mm. I did really like the first one, but I don't know. The level of entertainment kind of uh, blew me away. I did see Terminator and Jurassic World, and it was like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. 
yeah. I had free tickets and I would like my money back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm planning, I'm off next week, so I'm planning to go to the cinema and this is my, my local multiplex. I've got the choice of Selfless, Ant-Man, Ted 2, Magic Mike, XXL, which obviously now I might have to, I haven't seen the first one, so I might have to do a thing. But Terminator <laughs> Genesis, 3D Minions or Jurassic World, that is the choice of what I have to go and watch tomorrow at the local multiplex. Yeah. I mean, it's pitiful, really. Um, and, you know, I'm sure home will have so. I, I, like I said, I might go and watch the Amy Winehouse documentary and depress yeah. myself senseless. But it's a pretty, it's it's pretty bleak, I think, at the moment. Um, yeah. It, 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 it is. I'm looking forward to Star Wars and James Bond. That's about it. Yeah, I, I don't want to be. I don't want to be getting Sorry. excited about Star Wars, but I, I, I've surrendered now. Yeah. That, even I can't though, help it. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't. I can't help but get get back into it, even though I. I don't think J.J. Abrams is a bad director. I just think he's not made a good film yet. I think that's... I mean, well, it's a Mission Impossible 3, I suppose, is pretty good, but... Yeah. I'm, I'm yet to kind of be bowled over by him. And hmm. the one thing that scares me a little <laughs> bit about the, the last Star Wars film was the trailer where there was that kind of, like, crash zoom was the Millennium Fal- Falcon kind of went up that kind of exhaust pipe on an abandoned Star Destroyer. And I was like, oh, God, he's doing that thing where he's jerking the camera <laughs> around, even in a special effect. I was like, ah... Don't, and then I noticed on that kind of making of the other day, they had that kind of that uh, steady cam shot that he likes, where he kind of tilts down as he moves forward, and I could see mm. things like that. And I was like, "Oh God, please, just as long as it has time to breathe," which yeah. is, 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 he doesn't seem to do in his other films. No, um, they, they never seem to stop long enough for you to kind of get into and care about the characters. Bang, next bit, bang, next bit, bang, next, and it's just like it, it, it kind of wears me out. And I, I just hope that. With the kind of the Kazdan script and the fact that he's in slightly different material, that he'll let these film let the film breathe a little bit. And I'm quite pleased Ryan Johnson's doing the next two actually, because I think he's something he'll be able to bring. I think he'll bring something really good to them. Mm. I was kind of positively surprised by the the trailer at Comic Con because it was more it played more to the uh, character side of yeah. of the film and more to the emotional side. It wasn't about the bang and it wasn't about the effects it was more about celebrating the return of an older form of star wars it's felt to me at least so yeah yeah and i i, I I'm, I'm encouraged by the fact that when you look at the, the the sets there's actual people in those robots yeah and there seems to be actual explosions going on and there's a kind of a physicality to star wars which appears to come back and i'm watching you um the prequels at the moment for something i'm working on, on the other podcast and God, they're just, they're like computer games. I mean, they're just mm. soulless in a way, I find. You know, the, and it, it's even things like, you know, like things like eye lines don't ever quite match properly with CGI <laughs> characters. And you, you can tell, you know, that, that the actors don't, uh, are kind of, you know, someone's shouting, oh, you know, look to your left, you know, you know, you know it's just behind you and that kind of stuff. And you can, you can just tell that these people are just kind of in this fake artificial environment, whereas this new one, you can, you can see that there's the attention to details there. And that gives me hope. It, 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 so yeah we will see we will see yeah I mean I can't wait for the first person to complete there's going to be the competition in who's going to be the first person to completely trash it yeah <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, that, I'm, my eyes are already rolling at that one or the first person to declare it's the best one yet which we just oh. <laughs> either or yeah gotcha. okay so two for the road yes have you gone on like a driving trip with the missus yes. uh, or with the former missus yes uh, how uh, how how do you experience that? Because I've been I've been on a couple, uh, but I would like to hear your point of view first. Yeah, um, 
it was it was funny watching this film how many memories it brought back mm. um, and not necessarily good ones uh, it has to <laughs> it has to be said because when you're kind of in a confined space with someone for long enough everything they do will annoy you at some stage and i i remember my my, my ex had a bit of a problem with left and right when we were driving and understanding that red at traffic lights meant to stop. So it would often be like a near-death experience just driving from <laughs> one point to the other, you know. Or you'll be sat, she'll be sat there, talk, she, she seems to want to do anything other than drive, like she'll be doing her hair, her makeup, texting a friend. This is all whilst driving. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd be like, well, do you want to focus on the road? Like, and I'd say, Tyler, yeah, dr- drive now. And she'd be like, what? And he'd be like, well, the, the, the traffic lights are green. There's a, you know, there's a truck behind us beeping. Oh, is there? And yeah, you know, kind of things like that. And slowly, the kind of the, the sniping and the griping at each other would increase until it would explode normally into a kind of sit there in silence, not talking hmm. for a while. So, yeah, it was strained would be the word mm. I would find for it. And we were planning on a road trip to America. This was about a year before we split up actually and i actually just poo-pooed the idea because i said there's just no way i could do it with you it would you know <laughs> it, it would send me over the edge i think yeah, yeah. yeah and you know i'm sure don't get me wrong i'm i'm a massive pain in the ass as well you know this is, <laughs> this is one thing you know it is always important when you I, I think you kind of analyze the where your previous relationship went wrong to to put your hand up and say you were not that perfect either and i can certainly say that i wasn't i was a a fucking nightmare quite frankly at times i was the king of i'm going out for one and i'd arrive home 24 hours later as if nothing <laughs> happened. but yeah that, that being aside but you know my, my driving skills for example I, I i don't drive that fast that used to do it and you know i am um, yeah I, I didn't change gear when i should and things like that so i'm sure i did enough things to wind her up so mm. it really was a recipe for utter disaster with us yeah, yeah. i feel like this is a like a warning to uh new couples yes and i'm not sure i would want to watch this film with my girlfriend we've only been together mm. 18 months she mm. could watch it on her own uh, but i don't want to watch it together with her uh, because it's like i feel like these are natural stages a couple goes through yeah where you kind of like fall in and out and the the kind of banter that are teasing and in the in the in the early stages it's all about hmm, everything's coming up roses. Yeah. So they're infatuated with each other and they are expressing that like physically and verbally and they have their arguments, but it's never meant to hurt the other person. And when you see them in the later stages, I mean, the words, they they have a real sting to them that is quite tangible and every excitement of the relationship it has completely evaporated so the arguments are more frequent and they are less forgiving so you have this spontaneity and the honesty in the beginning of the relationship where that is all disappeared in the latter stages i think it's a brilliantly observed film about Mm. how yeah like exactly like you say when you start off in a relationship everything's fine and you know you might have those kind of little kooks and quirks that you see in the summer, they might be a bit forgetful or they might, you know, they might accidentally get their words mixed up occasionally. And in the beginning, it's all well and good. Mm. Fast forward three years later and, I don't know, you get to the airport and they've not got the tickets and you're like, for Christ's sake, you know, whereas three years before, that'd be funny. You'd be like, ah, yeah. we're going to sort that out. Or, you know, have we got the car parking ticket? Nope. Well, wh- where did you leave it? Oh, yeah, I, th- I-, I don't know. 
why don't you know? Whereas before, you know, you'd be like, where's the parking? Oh, I think I left it in a cafe. Ha ha ha, you're so forgetful. <laughs> but then you just suddenly, you become tired of it. And it's just, the, it, that's what happens with relationships naturally. Yeah. It's, and it's, you know, it's quite a sad thing to admit. And yeah. it, it's how you kind of deal with it and adapt to those situations. You know, do you sort of just like, do you say, well, for God's sakes, why do you have to be so forgetful? Can't you just sort this out? You know, start remembering, stop being so stupid. Or do you say, well, that's actually just who they are and mm. it's annoying, but I need to kind of get on with it. Yeah. And kind of relationships kind of fail or work on the basis of how much you can get over those types of things. Um, and w- when I look back at kind of failed, my, my last failed relationship, as I like to call it, I wasn't able to get over those things. Mm. And that was the problem. And it, be- it began to sort of become between us until we just drifted apart where, you know, we, just, we ended up having less and less to do. We didn't make any effort to kind of socialize with each other, socialize with each other's friends because we couldn't really be bothered. You know, mm. it was just my, my sort of going out for drinks or something. I knew I knew how it was going to end. Yeah. I, I knew what, what, what was going to happen. Whereas before I'd just be like, oh, right, you know, go enjoy something. I'd be like, what's the point in us going out? Because you won't enjoy it. I won't enjoy it. And then you sort of realize, you know, after, it can take a long time to get there. But when you kind of realize you, you, you're living with someone who you, don't want to be with you don't love and really when you look back you could have ended it years before and i think what tooth the road expertly does is it captures those tiny little moments that build and build and build over the Mm. course of this relationship and you can see a tangible sense that these people to a degree just cannot stand each other yeah and it's very and like you said i wouldn't want to watch this with my current girlfriend because you'd be sat there i think you'd both be panicking like thinking, oh yeah. God, we, this can't happen to us. <laughs> you, you know, when we say it all the time, with her, her at the moment, she, she married for 14 years, I was in a seven-year relationship, and we both, we, the amount of times we've sat there and said, right, this relationship isn't going to end up like the other one. We've yeah. got to, you know, we've got to make, all the mistakes that we made in our previous ones, we're not going to make. And, you know, we'll, in 10 years, will we be back here again? And I'll be saying, well, fucking hell, you know, it's, it's happened again. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But, you, don't, you don't know, do you? That's That's the kind of the, I guess that's the falling in love and relationships. I guess are kind of um, they're, they're, they're completely mental in a way. Yeah. But you kind of we I suppose we do need them. And yeah, yeah. Of, we're sadists, aren't we? You want to kind of wade in there and kind of get <laughs> you, you want to get your heart broken or you know have the exhilaration of those kind of rather wonderful moments you get in a relationship. That's just human nature, I suppose. And hmm. yeah, I, I kind of got got that from this film. Yeah, definitely. And how it? I mean, if it would have told the story of the film if it had been so linearly and not be as juxtaposing as it is i don't think he would have caught that those moments i don't think he would have caught them in the same way because the editing of the film it's kind of what makes it all come together and it what makes the film how it comments on the situations over time uh, is really what is lifting the film above just a mediocre romantic comedy. Yeah, I mean, just to kind of talk about, you know, what we were saying about um, these kinds of, there's a link through it, isn't it? The passport. Yeah. Because yeah, at the start, I mean, they're on that plane and he's like, oh, I've lost my passport. And, you know, and it's such a brilliant thing. Cause he gets up, you've got to turn the plane around. I've lost my passport. And that says loads about his character that he's that kind of, why he wasn't checked when he got on the plane for his passport. I don't know. Perhaps yeah. things were slow. Post. It's, it's pre 9 yeah. 11. I think it was things different. <laughs> um, you know, but he, he gets up, he's like, oh, you know, turn this plane around now. I want to go find my passport. And that says loads about his character. He's quite self absorbed. He's got mm. a pretty high importance. And then 
Audrey Hepburn just calmly gets it up and holds it up. And you know full well that she had, you know, she had it all along. And she just wants to just, just to remind him that he always forgets his passport. Yeah. And it's that little snarky dig just to say, oh, look, you do, you always do this. And here's me getting it out of again. And then yeah, quite yeah. brilliantly, it jumps back to the first time they meet. And it's, oh, you lost your passport. And it's this kind of sweet, kind moment. And it kind of keeps reoccurring through the theme at various time phases. You know, that thing. And what it does, it shows in the present as well, how he hasn't changed as a person. He's mm. still that man who forgets his passport. And it's just that their relationship and the dynamic that's changed. And it's a very simple piece of storytelling. And it, I think it, the impact of it and the kind of the subtlety of it works through the kind of non-linear editing. And I think that's one of the reasons why... And that's one of the reasons why I love it so much. Sometimes with films that kind of muck around with linear, linear narrative, non-linear narrative, sometimes they become quite hard to follow. Or you feel that the payoff, perhaps at the end, um, makes it feel more like a gimmick, something like Memento, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I don't think Memento has that much replayability, whereas I think this does. And I think this, the reason why this does for me is because of the way in which the story is told. Mm. Yeah, and it's all the ways that not only how it's juxtaposed, but also the way that the stories connect to each other and how uh, the transitions between the scene, it feels like it's so effortless and that's yeah. a real feat to pull it off. I yeah. mean, there's four or five stories that all comment on one another, but it not it doesn't feel like a technical experiment. It's a really passionate and personal film. And the majority of the events were inspired by experiences that Raphael and his wife had and yep. his interactions with Donan when they wrote the script. So it feels like a really personal piece and not this, yeah, this editing experience. Yeah, the style doesn't, um, it's it's substance and style, Yeah, isn't it? I mean, the, and the thing is, you're not, you're not taken out of the film by the stylistic choices that Stanley Donan makes. When you kind of get those kind of jump cuts or the cast on each, I mean, the brilliant one is, you know, and he says something like, "I'm, I'm always, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to stop for uh, hitchhikers," and then suddenly they, they drive past a set of hitchhikers, and you jump forward twenty years or something like that. And you, but you think is, it's just, it, it's quite, it's quite a nice kind of visual joke, mm. and you have that kind of to take from it. But like you say, it's just effortless. You go bang, you're into that scene, and you don't kind of notice the time difference. And you, and you sort of, it's also character as well because he, you know, he's that idealist, isn't he? I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm going to be better. Than, than people who just drive past and then you see him just driving along there in stony silence yeah, and he's, yeah. he's exactly the person who he didn't want to end up being you know it's, it kind of works on a kind of a kind of a deeper level as well as being quite playful in a way in terms of mm -hmm. how donna's making the film so you know i'm completely down with down with how it does in there it's it kind of reminded me a little bit of the graduate i guess in its kind of visual style that kind mm. of that so that's the film i can watch endlessly um, just, just, just because of how much I love the direction, this, this, I kind of feel like the same way about this. Yeah, it's all about that fear of growing up and not mm. becoming, not becoming your parents, yes. or not becoming the elders in the family. Um, they're constantly like commenting on what they don't want to become as a married couple, and yet they end up exactly where they are, with dreaded uh, heading. So they're disappointed, and they are missing the freedom. And then the interesting thing is they're not afraid to say this to each other in the later years. I mean, they're staying together, but we and they, we're never sure whether it's because of love or it's because they feel like it's too late to find someone else. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because there's always there's, 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 
there's always those echoes, aren't they? Like, you know, when they they say, who who would sit and stare at each other like that in a restaurant or something yeah. like that? You know, and um, it, it, it's it, actually it's quite strange because when I went, I went to I recently went to Berlin uh, with, with my girlfriend and went up the TV tower, and there was a couple in front of us, and it's got, it's got this rather brilliant kind of revolving restaurant on on the top bit of it, and it's it's all rather great and retro inside. And there was this couple on the on the on the table just behind us. And suddenly the guy got up and he sat. He went and sat next to the, to the girl. And I, I, I was facing him and Siobhan had it back to him. And I went, I think he's going to propose, Siobhan. I think he's, I, I, I think he's going to do it. And he, obviously I don't speak German, but he, he started talking to her. And you could see he was saying something quite nice and touching. She had kind of thing. And then out came the ring. And, you know, it was, they were like kissing and hugging and all that kind of stuff. And they were a lot younger than us. And then we were sat there laughing at each other. I'm, I'm sat there with, a not yet divorced single mother of two from Ireland and a bitter, miserable bastard from Ken who lives in Manchester, who lives on his own with two cats. And we were like sat there looking at each other thinking, oh, bless them, you know, they're so, yeah. oh, and you sort of like get these kind of like glimpses. And I thought, you know, if they knew what you know, we had been through, perhaps they wouldn't even be bothering getting married. You don't know, do you? It was just kind of moment we were like, shit, you know, that's what we were like once. You know, we were all kind of, yeah, yeah. I remember me and Mike said, oh, we're going to go to Vegas and get married. It's going to be really fun. No, we're yeah. not. <laughs> Which we, the flights are 600 quid. Can't be us spending that, you know. And it's, it's that kind of thing. But throughout the film, they're getting these little reminders yeah. of what marriage is. Or you know, But marriage, it doesn't have to be two people sat at a table staring into space. being no. Sure, it will have those moments. But the point in the film is that you don't see positive glimpses of the future, do you? You don't see an, two 80-year-olds walking hand in hand down the road. Yeah. I mean, like, there's, a, there's a lovely old couple who lived down the road from me. And you can tell they are so in love with each other still. And I mean, I, I, I hesitate to say that, but they're plus 80 years, I would imagine. But they're always on the train going to stuff, going to the theatre, going to the cinema. Yeah. And they, they'll be sat outside. I mean, look, you think, God, you know, that's so nice. You know, mm. they, they're obviously clearly so in love still. Mm-hmm. And you can juxtapose that. Obviously, you can look at a couple just sat there looking blankly into space and say, oh, God, you know. But obviously, there is that, you know. There's two sides of the coin. And I think this film is very much a kind of a glass half empty type exploration of what marriage is. And it's you, know, you can tell as well that he he doesn't want the conformity, does he? No. Of man, and he, you know, the, the whole kid things, he kind of flip flops between what he wants and what he don't want, you know. Oh, do, you know, do we want a kiss? She obviously wants one. Is he going to be a good fight? Yeah, you know, it's just, yeah, it's it's kind of sad to watch it. And as the kind of the years tick by, you know, are they really happy? You know, mm. it's, but this is this film is definitely a part of the the beginning of counterculture. Like yes. that is on the brink, and sex was like entering American cinema. And times are changing, and the marriage that he depicts here is not like for the faint of heart where even though you see these individual moments of like bliss when he juxtaposes them with like unspoken rage and mm. those cuts they come quite as a shock to me where they carry something more with them than the um, the individual pieces they come together as more than the sum of its pieces yeah i mean i i guess a very a very i think a very key scene actually is when he first when they first meet, and he's clearly way more into Jackie, um, played by Jacqueline Bissett, isn't it? I think. Mm. Then and and you can tell what he she's you know, she, basically he's absolutely jumping for joy when he comes down in the morning and sees her, mm-hmm. and 
basically what they're implying is let's go away and have a bit of algae father on the you know for a few weeks and we can get away from the rest of it and yeah. then you know joanne comes down like, oh i'm fine and suddenly it's like oh god you know he and he it's almost like he falls accidentally into this kind of relationship and mm-hmm. something a bit deeper than what he thought he was going to get and all the time he's trying to fight against that yeah and it's almost like he begins to resent her for him liking her yeah, you know, he, he, he says he loves her enough during the film at various stages. He tells yeah. her he loves her, but it's it's also like that kind of simmering resentment that, and he can't even say that she's holding him back professionally because as we see over the film, his career is taking off. He is doing really really well, so it's mm-hmm. not like she's holding him back. But I think mentally, I think this character is someone who is always looking for something better down the road, and perhaps yeah. just doesn't realise that it's actually there with him. And you can see it in those moments, like you say, those kind of like those blind bits of rage where he just makes these little comments and you think, oh, you little shit. <laughs> and, but the, the strange thing I found about the film was having watched it, I warm to him a lot as the film goes on. But for the first like 50 minutes, I really don't like him that much at all. Yeah. I guess I never really warmed to him. I found his character to be incredibly egotistical. And yeah, that, that sort of man that I feel like I can't really get along with. I do really buy them as a couple, as a real couple, and totally. the chemistry between Hepburn and Finney, that's, I mean, that's very good. But the the endless arguing, it does get a little tiring, and I'm just waiting to see the conclusion of the film. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things about him is, is it, it, I wondered a few times what, what she saw in him. But yeah. then, you, then you sort of see like characters like Howie, who's just yeah of course yeah yeah from <laughs> even david who she has the affair with is just a smug idiot mm-hmm. and i've so wanted him to punch him yeah, he's, i, I, I wanted the... him to knock him the fuck out yeah. <laughs> he's so annoying i was like is that kind of oh well you know i've just taken your wife it's a shame we're not friends you know, like, you, know uh, you were just yeah, you bastard you know what i mean but i i can see what she likes in him is that he's not like other guys Mm-hmm. He does have that kind of free spirit about him, and you know, life is perhaps going to be a little bit more exciting with him than perhaps someone who's more about kind of conformity and you know someone who's a bit more agreeable and less kind of antagonistic. But I guess I feel like the relationship it doesn't feel like they're built to last. It feels like this is this is a relationship that was meant to be short term, and they would have perhaps been better off just going the separate ways after a. After a while, yeah, I mean, like a transitional, a transitional relationship where you find out what you want and what you don't want, and it doesn't seem like he's eager to change. So it's 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 that it's that honestly, it's it's the battle of the devil, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I've always thought this: divorce people who get divorces are are some of the bravest people in the world Mm -hmm. because it's like you can sit, you can plod along, and you know, certainly, I mean, I you know, talking from experience and, and experience of friends and stuff like that. Is I know people who have split up from long-term partners who, in a different world, could still be with that person and leading a relatively happy life. Yeah. Still having, you know, still going out, you know, probably having children, ha- having sex, you know, all that, all that kind of thing. But they're really not being that kind of connection there. And I think these are a couple who, I think deep down, really do love each other. I think they really do care for each other. But they're just incompatible mm-hmm. in so many ways. But this kind of marriage has... It's the fact. I think it's the fact that they're married that's the problem. Mm. I, th- I think that. I think it's the limitations you know, and you know, the, the, the pressure the, and the strain. Yeah, it's it's a psychological. Uh, being married is a completely different 
state of affairs, you mm-hmm. know, it, and especially, you know, we are talking the 60s, but, you know, you, you didn't stay boyfriend and girlfriend for you. You got married. It was the thing that you did. And obviously, this film's made in 1967. We're at the height of, you know, like you say, kind of counterculture movement. And th- th- this film kind of, although they're not kind of hippies, they're the opposite, really. They're kind of like upper, mid- upper class, really, aren't they? Yeah, well, yeah. certainly by the end of the film, they're pretty affluent, aren't they? But it's that kind of thing. You know, what what is what is the modern marriage? What is the modern relationship? Do you need you know? Does it have to be? Do you have to be married to validate your marriage? Mm. And I think that's one of the things that this film is is exploring. You know, what what is marriage? Mm. Is it this kind of death? Is it till death, or is it something more that, that evolves over time and, and can be broken? And I feel like it's. I feel like it's, I feel like it's a very modern film for the time it was made. Yeah, definitely. The scene you mentioned, Mark. Uh, one of the you know, the husband of the couple they're meeting, and yeah. I th- those scenes with Joanna and Mark and that child. God damn it! I love and I hate them. I mean, yeah, it's you love how they're put together, but Christ, you hate that couple and the child is yeah. I mean, I I, I can again that that was when watching that brought back painful memories. And <laughs> it, it, I remember once I went to Prague with another couple who announced that prior to us going didn't have any money so okay. we just said oh well we'll pay for you all weekend then you know because they they'd, they'd, they'd had some sort of financial disaster. so we said look rather than you not go we'll pay you've paid for the flights in the hotel so we'll pay all weekend <laughs> and then about two months later we went out to dinner and i forgot my card we both forgot our cards and then they drove us to, they paid it and drove us to a cash point to pay for our half the dinner <laughs> and i remember <laughs> I just remember that was it then, you know, it was like war for me. And watching those scenes of him when he's like, you know, we'll work out to the third because the child's this. And it just brought back painful memories of those awkward couple type things that you have to do occasionally where you sort of sit there and you think, oh, God, I just can't stand these people really deep down. Hmm. And th- there was this element of that in in, in those. And it's because, I mean, obviously that's his ex-girlfriend as well, isn't it? Which adds that little bit of slight tension to yeah. it as well and you know the kid the kid who's kind of this kind of hyper modern child and <laughs> it's, it's what you do though when, when you're in a relationship you look at other couples and you think god i thank god we're not like them yeah yeah and it, it's just i mean it, perhaps it labors the point a little bit too much and i would say actually um i do think this film's a little bit too long mm-hmm. i think it overst- I, I think it overstays its welcome towards the end i and i know one of the things they were keen to avoid in it was repetition Mm-hmm. But I do feel it gets a little bit repetitive towards the end. In the final twenty minutes, I was a bit like, "Oh, come on! I think we can wrap. We could have wrapped things up twenty minutes ago." And that's yeah, yeah, that's a, a minor nitpick. And I suppose there's the argument is that a good film can never be too long. But in, sometimes I just feel like it could have. We could have just trimmed it out. And I certainly think the scenes with kind of Howie and all that lot and the, and the child. Mm. Yeah, um, it's it's, a, it's very good subtle filmmaking and the little kind of the digs that he's making. They're trying to be this ultra modern couple, aren't they? Where the kid's being treated like an adult and everything they say and do psychoanalyzed and stuff like that. Yeah. But he does, he does get a little bit sort of like, oh, come on. Yeah. It's just, you've made your point. You know, he's yeah. a, a pain <laughs> in the ass. Let's get out of it. But. The, um, just the scenery and the visuals and the beautiful, like panorama vistas of some beautiful areas in France. Where like um, I think it's where the Alps meet the Mediterranean down in the south, yeah. And I guess it would be hard not to make these areas appealing. But overall, the film is 
like beautiful and wonderful to look at. And I really enjoy the way that Don and he stages the actors in relation to the camera. Yeah. How he gives them, he gives them plenty of space to move around as they often do. And he uses close ups very sparingly. Yeah. I, it's, it's a strange because when I think of Stan Don, I just think of singing in the rain. Yeah. And. Music. Or I, I don't know that he he made charade, of course, with yeah. Cary Grant and Walter Matthau and Audrey Hepburn as well. And I I really do enjoy that as a fun mystery yeah. film. Yeah, no, but, I, I I really do. I mean, he also directed um, Saturn Three, that crazy Kirk Douglas. Uh, oh, I haven't seen that one. Oh, it's a. Uh, I think it was made in one of those. I think it was probably made around that time where everyone wanted a science fiction film after Star Wars. Okay. Um, but uh, no, it's got um. Harvey Keitel in it as well. Check it okay. out. But I mean, he, he seems to make films which I just don't think he. I, I don't associate someone like him making. And this is one of the ways of like, it's. I, I always think about Tooth Road as being. It's a bittersweet film without much sweet in it. Mm-hmm. It's a, just. It's, it's a bigger bitter than it is sweet. And I think that's. It just seems like someone you know who who obviously makes these kind of such fun kind of happy films, makes this kind of quite kind of cynical look at a relationship and. I think it's interesting. Yeah, obviously it's got a, a, a European writer. It doesn't feel like a Hollywood film, really, to me. No. And the fact that Albert Finn is in it, uh, uh, you know, it's that kind of British new wave kind of kingpin. Obviously, one of the biggest stars in the world. And in fact, Audrey Hepburn. And I, I think it's a. I, I find generically it's quite hard to to pinpoint as well. It's kind of a road movie. It has you know kind of iconography from the road movie, i.e. roads and driving and kind of relationships developing over the course of a journey. Even though that's kind of taking part in several time um, zones, but you know it has it's quite funny sometimes. There's some good visual gags where he drives the truck that drives the car and all the yeah uh, the luggage falls off the roof and when mm-hmm. she comes from behind that sign that always makes me laugh for some reason. He's raving her arms <laughs> and done. But it, but and then it's got those kind of just moments of just scything drama. Yeah, you know, bitter, horrible moments where I mean, there's that bit towards the end where she he, she says I love you and he goes oh you, do you know which one you're saying it to or something like that mm. and it's just a horrible comment and then he kind of falls in the swimming pool when it's happy again and then it's only jump cuts to the future and they just sat there stony faced in the car and you're like what is this you know what I mean what what yeah, yeah. what, what genre you, the, the sh- there are tonal shifts in it which would kind of lead you from melodrama to drama to, to comedy. But in the context of the film, it all works. But I, you know, overall, I don't really know how to classify it. I mean, I know it's a drama comedy, which I suppose is hmm. you, you could easily call it that. But I think it's, you know, I, I, I think it's good that you can't pigeonhole it into one thing or another. And I think that's testament to how clever a film is. Hmm. I was kind of reminded of Derek Sian uh, Francis' uh, Blue Valentine, but that film hmm. is much more pinned down to like melodrama and like uh it's rooted in that hardcore emotional drama yeah. whereas this it's much more playful mm. and it, it kind of plays to its advantage i feel like how it it manages to celebrate its times as well as the more heartbreaking times yeah i well this is one thing i i really love it like the 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 the, the the best way I think I, I kind of when I think about this film is that bit where they stay at that really posh hotel. Yeah. And they haven't got enough money really to stay there. And they're kind of, you know, he goes out and buys foods and stuff. To Smuggle it in, yeah. Yeah, and they're, they're happy. You know, they're eating sardines out of a tin in bed. And it's you know, it's a simple life, isn't it? Um, 
you know, it, it's they don't they don't have very much, but they've got each other, and that's all that matters. Mm. And then when they and then you have that kind of like little kind of jokes that when they get down there, they find that dinner was included in the price anyway, and all this kind of thing. And he's just like, oh, you know, damn it. <laughs> and it, it's moments like that though are the kind of things which, when you remember the good times, they're the moments you go back to. Yeah. Those little, those little kind of, and the film captures those little kind of, those little kind of vignettes of happiness, and it does, yeah, it reminds you, you know, of of the great stuff that is being in a relationship, the funny mm. moments, the stupid comment, you know, the stupid jokes, the the things that you did together that made you laugh loads, but then when they do stay there, when they can afford to, they've become that couple who sit at the dinner table not talking, and it's mm. like, oh, and you sort of see, and you sort of think, you know were they happier when they didn't have very much you know is that kind of is that what it's really about or is it the fact they've stopped communicating and i just feel it it just seems to kind of nail those moments for me yeah also audrey hepburn her choice of being in this film i felt like it was kind of a brave choice seeing as her career was kind of at a high peak in the 60s and at the end of her acting career now closing in on the 70s she made some quite provoking or unconventional films and this definitely falls in line with those and i think it's one of her last films she appeared in before she kind of withdrew from the spotlight but it's a completely different sort of character than something like charade or something like sabrina or something yeah yeah i mean if you look at audrey hepburn's film she didn't make many films no i mean she's not she wasn't and I think it's quite hard to point out any of those films which are bad, actually, to mm -hmm. be fair. I even like you know, My Fair Lady. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Breakfast at Tiffany's. How can you not like that film? <laughs> um, yeah. I, was she in Always? Was she in that Steven Spielberg film? I can't remember her from that one, but it's been a while. Yeah, let me double check something. Oh, yeah, she was. Yeah, she was in Always. But I mean, okay. I, yeah, it's... Well, you can tell, can't you? It's, 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 it's an actor. It's like... Here's someone who isn't resting on their laurels, I guess. Mm -hmm. This is somebody who wants to kind of challenge themselves as an artist. And this mm -hmm. is certainly one of those films where you, know, you can see from a kind of an acting point of view why, why, why it would be appealing to an actor to take this role. Mm -hmm. And I think she brings so much personality to it as well. Yeah, I love watching her. Just She's so stylish and yet seems so down to earth. Yeah, I mean, she's she can, affable. She, yeah. yeah, she blows raspberries and things like that. Mm -hmm. You know, she doesn't take herself seriously, I find. No in this film at all and I, it's um, like, I mean I, I love Albert I, in fact I think the performance is around pretty brilliant I think Albert Finney's brilliant in this as well actually mm. um, he, he, he does play that kind of Jack the Lad not he's he's quite I mean um, was it Saturday Night and Sunday Morning is probably my favourite film with him in. again he plays that kind of cocky cocksure little arsehole mm. but you can't you sort of do like him in a way and uh, yeah it's it, and there's a real chemistry between them I, yeah. I think that totally. I I get the moment. I get the anger between them. And I get the love between them as well, which I think is quite important. The score in this film, it is remarkably like effective and very beautiful, especially in the main theme. I think I might change our outro music to that main theme because I love it so much. Henry Mancini really knocks it out of the park for me. Yeah, I, I did, it did. It did. Sometimes it does. Uh, Get a little bit repetitive, perhaps. Yes, there's, there's like a little yeah. kind of keyboard track. But yeah, on the whole, I think it's uh, it really kind of nails the romance of it. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I like to say, I think because it has kind of like, it constantly reminds you that the film's set in France, I find the soundtrack. Yeah. I, it was, it's a, an audio reminder of where it was taking place. But no, I loved it. Mm -hmm. I really, really enjoyed it. And um, it's, 
yeah, Henry Mancini tap soundtracks. It's listening to them on their own, absence of a film. Sometimes mm. you you do sound like you're having some sort of cocktail party at your house, <laughs> which I guess kind of it's that lounge core type music. But yeah, yeah, I um no, I loved it. I, it's like to, to listen and to watch this film is a real treat. I think it, the, the two kind of really work so well. Mm. Okay, so let's talk about Frederick Raphael. Yes, I mean he received an Oscar nomination for the writing, and deservedly so. And this man, he's worked as a screenwriter, non-fiction writer, novelist, journalist. He worked on John Schlesinger's Far From the Manning Crowd, and I know you did a review on the modernised version of that one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to anyone who, um, to listen to that episode, go and watch the John Schlesinger version as well. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely brilliant. It it does get slightly... um, great because all Julie Christie seems to say is Frank Frank <laughs> that's all she is Frank and it does get a little bit grating but that's a great film as well and he also wrote Darling with um, Julie Christie in it as well which has recently been released on Blu-ray by Network um, and that is a great film as well Julie Christie actually won an Oscar for that okay. I can heartily recommend seeing that and actually whilst I was watching this again this morning I was thinking I might have to just go and watch it again because I did pick up that Blu-ray and it's, um, it's absolutely brilliant um, yeah Hmm. totally totally, this is he's a great writer i think it also has to be said and he did actually win um he he won the academy award for darling as well in 65 so and he also worked on one of my favorite films eyes wide shut and i say worked on because saying he co-wrote it yeah i'm a bit skeptical to give him that much credit yeah, it seems like Kubrick. From what I've learned uh, doing research now, uh, he returned more to the original script after Raphael left the production. And Frederick Raphael, he wrote a book about collaborating with Kubrick and the Kubrick camp. They criticised that book quite harshly. Oh, really? I I didn't know what what, what was the kind of general. It feels like he was putting a incredibly sour and bad light on Kubrick as a person and as like a tyrant and how he was obsessed with sex and that all of his wonderful ideas were disregarded. So there was quite a bit of controversy. And I know that several of the actors in the film uh, and Christiane, she went out and stated that this is not something we support at all, this book. Right. So I, I haven't read it myself, but um, I did listen to a podcast from the Projection Booth. They did an episode, like a three-hour episode on Eyes Wide Shut, which is quite brilliant. Okay. But yeah, after doing some research, my uh, esteem of him uh, dropped a fair bit. <laughs> what, Raphael? Of Raphael, yeah. Right, okay. Well, Seems I mean, like he was aggrandizing himself and putting Kubrick down after Kubrick couldn't defend himself, obviously. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I mean, like I said, until I've read the book, I mean, I'm actually on Amazon. I'm, I've just double checked on Amazon. It's like £1.70, so I think I'm going to pick it up and give yeah, it a read. Yeah. But I think, um, I mean, I, I certainly saw similarities between the two films. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, sex is a is overriding in this film. It seems to be, for Mark, that seems to be his way of kind of sorting everything out. Yeah, like, let's just have sex. You know, that'll kind of that'll solve this temporary crisis. Mm-hmm. If we have sex, we'll forget about the fact that we're at each other's throats. You know, and 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 then obviously the the, the sort of the 
sexual jealousy is really the kind of the through line of eyes wide shut you know just someone torturing themselves over something that didn't even happen really mm-hmm. you know and it's I, I can see the similarity between the two and they both kind of I, I think nail certain aspects of relationships especially that kind of you know jealousy and eyes wide shut and yeah how it can kind of just twist and burn you to to really dark places mm. and uh, it, it seemed to nail it perfectly and it's, it's nuance i think is the word which always comes to mind when i watched tooth the road and an eyes wide shut and um i'd, I'd, I'd like to i'd like to you know, perhaps do a, a watch these back to back and probably try and unpick which bits are the you know the more the raphael moments i suppose mm-hmm. but, but uh, yeah certainly i i it didn't see it I wasn't surprised. I was surprised I didn't know, but I wasn't surprised when I did find out that he, he, he co-wrote, well, was involved with Eyes Wide Shut. Mm. Yeah, you can definitely, how the couples relate to um, life outside of their relationship and how they kind of lead separate lives. That yeah. is uh, definitely an interesting similarity. And just how the dynamic between the couple, it would have been interesting to go back to the couple of Eyes Wide Shut and see how would they be 10 years on from this episode. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, actually, because when Tooth Road ends, mm. I don't. it doesn't end as such no. with a kind of, hey, everything's fine from <laughs> yeah. here on end. Don't worry, guys. You know, it doesn't say to the audience, does it? Look, nothing to worry about with these two. They're going to be just fine. We know from what we've just seen that... Um, it's a struggle. Yeah, these two are going to be at it. Do you know what I was reminded a little bit, actually, when I was watching this? And that's the before films, especially the last one. Yeah. Where you just begin to sort of... when when You could make a really interesting, like, I don't know, like, three-hour cut of all those films. You know, like... Mm-hmm. Do, do you know, you, I think it'd be quite an interesting experiment to kind of see those kind of... Especially the the, the fir- between the first one and the, and the last one. Mm-hmm. When you kind of see them at the start and they're you know, dead young. And then at the end, it's like... You know, he, he, there's a line in it. I think Ethan Hawke says, and he, he says something like, "If you put, if you put as much effort into moaning as you do <laughs> enjoying your life, you know." And, it, and it's like, I, it was when he, as soon as he said, it, "I was like, oh my god, I've had that conversation." You know what I mean? <laughs> it was just, it was just like, holy shit! And then, then she's just like, "Oh, Mister Pretentious, with your pretentious friends." And I was watching it. Oh my god, this is like that was. The, it came out the year I broke up with my girlfriend. So, and I think I watched it about two months later. And I was just sat there going, "Oh my god, this is this is what happened to us." Yeah. You know, and it, and it, I could see the similarity to that because at the end of that film, it it kind of ends on a false positive, I guess. Yeah. With that, you don't know that they're going to stay together. And when and in my sort of, I think at the time I was like, "Nope, they've had it." They have had it. There's no coming back for them. You know what I mean? They're miserable as sin. That's it now. As soon as you, it's like Inception. As soon as the idea comes into your head that the person is beginning to irritate you, that's that 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 that's it as far as I was concerned. And I, I like that about it. That kind of ambiguity mm. because they're going to head out into, and it doesn't kind of offer that kind of neatly wrapped up top down solution to the complexities of a human relationship. It just sort of says you know that they are kind of you can leave this and then you can come back and. You could you could go back and yeah, it's a shame they didn't make a kind of a sequel to this to see where they were up to. Although it might get even more boring than like another yeah. near on two hours of them bickering, I guess. But yeah, I always wondered what happened to the characters in Eyes Wide Shut. Hmm. Like, where are they now? Yeah. I was um, actually just now reminded of the Up films, Ooh, and yeah. after about I think thirty-five onwards, you can definitely see that the person's personality and the characteristics and the events of people's lives are definitely slowing down and they're settling and 
basically nothing is happening. They're becoming more reflective over the influence the film has on their own lives, but it doesn't seem that there are much change in relationships, in how they carry about themselves in the world. So perhaps it wouldn't be as interesting um, after this turbulent area in their lives when they get up to their 40s and 45 and 50s. I mean, that's research been done on that where personality characteristics they sort of cement themselves after the 35 40 years age oh shit so i'm coming into that phase now where yeah. i've got to think i've got to seriously think about you have to make any changes soon yeah right, okay <laughs> okay note note to self project projector breaking is an <laughs> end of world as you're sulking right okay that's it minor things should not bother you i'll write that down there. <laughs> yeah it's it's strange isn't it? i mean it's it's it, very much it's life isn't it i mean let's be honest with you most people's lives are fairly i don't think boring but they're just fairly same old same old yeah yeah and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that and as long as you're happy i guess and it's that kind of aspirational kind of stuff perhaps we, we put too much emphasis on aspirational on things i mean you know our relationship should always be about wonderful moments of joyous happiness and the reality is they're not and you know they are they're, they're hard work as this relation as this film shows you have to work on them you have mm. to you have to kind of forgive each other for the minor things. You have to enjoy the moments, as it were. And there's so much reflection on this film. They're con- especially in the future, they're constantly driving along, like talking about their relation in the past context. Mm-hmm. They're clearly kind of not moving on or not, or, or, or just constantly thinking there's something better. Like when she has her affair with David and he has his little fling and stuff like that. And these are people who perhaps they should spend more time in the present as opposed to thinking about what's around the corner or what happened in the past. And to me, it it nails that. I feel feel this is a film which, although it has its kind of fantastical elements, it has its moments of daft, like the car setting on fire and all that kind of stuff, and it slaps you things. But really, I think it's a very honest film. Mm -hmm. I think it's a very truthful film about the human condition and how our lives are. And it, it it, it does, I think, what, it does what film does perfectly, which it kind of wraps it up in that. It it, ha- it sprinkles that little bit of magic and fantasy onto it and stupidity and mm-hmm. daftness, but always makes you kind of realise that what, what you're watching is something which is infinitely something we can all kind of empathise with and identify with. Yeah. And it, 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 I think it nails that perfectly. Yeah, true. Uh, I don't think I have anything else to add on the movie itself. I read on DVD Beaver that the Region 1 DVD has an original aspect ratio of 233 to 1, while the MOC has 235 to 1. So I think there was a bit of a change on the aspect ratio here, but it gives um, MOC the win for richer colours and texture and depth. So uh, there wasn't... When I watched the comparison pitches, um, there wasn't much of a change, but you can sort of see... Uh, a slight um, difference in just shapes. Yeah, I, I didn't know that, to be honest with you. I didn't actually double-check that. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I I think it's a pretty great Blu-ray, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, what, what, I do, what I do like about it is the fact that they haven't... Um, sometimes I find with kind of older prints, where it's kind of like a, a bright, colourful film, sometimes I feel they kind of like... They, they whack that saturation up a little bit too much. They try and make them look a bit too kind of flashy and night you know a bit too i don't know sparkly or make those colors pop a little bit and i think they mm. just get the tones absolutely perfect in this release i think it's i think it's a wonderful film to watch actually yeah, I, I, they really and the sound as well i think the sound in the blu-ray is really good as well I think yeah a great job on that one. the picture is it sort of has that 
not exactly muted, but it, it feels like a 60s film. Yes. And that is so important, as well as, like, a if you look at postcards from the 60s, it, it has that sort of feeling to it, uh, visually. Yeah, I did. Well, actually, a couple of points I would quite make, actually. Um, one was the opening credit sequence, which I loved, which I first thought was Saul Bass, and I noticed it was Maurice Bender from uh, uh, Bond fame. Yeah. And um, having, w- working in a design agency, I spent we spend a lot of time, probably more time than we should, actually, obsessing over <laughs> fonts and how things look and crap like that. So from our perspective, I, from that perspective, I was absolutely loving it. Yeah. And the, the second thing I say, in the, kind of like the, in the kind of like the, I, I call it the future, but the kind of the, when they're older couples, is some of Audrey Hepburn's outfits mm-hmm. are incredible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she reminded me, it reminded me of once in that scene in Annie Hall where he's in California and his mate puts on that outfit and he's like, you're going to be driving through plutonium or something like that. <laughs> he's got these crazy massive glasses on and this kind of like, I think PVC cat suit and stuff like that. And it's, it, 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 she does look really cool. There's no denying it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I was sort of like, holy God, you know. I think she's borrowed those glasses from the Felix Leiter in Dr. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, know, I think I think it's Pekka Rabanne or something did the, the, the costumes or something like that. But yeah. yeah, she did look pretty great. It has to be said. And it, um, it sort of reminded me, actually, of, like, when I was watching this film, I didn't watch this film thinking, oh, that's Audrey Hepburn. I actually watched it thinking, oh, that she is the character she is. But I, I find that with kind of stars now. Mm. When I see someone like Angelina Jolie, I don't go, oh, that's Maleficent or whatever. I can't mm. Angelina Jolie. And I yeah. didn't have that with this film. And I don't know if it's the kind of fit. I don't watch as many Audrey Hepburn films as I do Angelina Jolie films. But it seems to me, I don't know whether or not I'm making some sort of massively sweeping statement here, but I just think this, the level of acting perhaps was a bit higher in those days. I don't know. It just seems to be that she manages to inhibit the role so much that I wasn't overcome by a stardom, as it were. And I think perhaps the fact that we aren't like oversaturated with actors from that age nowadays yeah. we see these celebrities everywhere so we're more yeah we're more accustomed to seeing them as angelina jolie than maleficent yeah. or something no yeah. it's true true yeah i mean yeah we don't see there's not posters to audrey hepburn everywhere, no. so let's be honest but... the supplements on its disc was um Quite good. There was an interesting interview with uh, Frederick Raphael where he discusses the, the origins of the script and how it evolved, as well as talking about Hepburn's image and popularity. Yeah, it's funny you should mention that thing about Stanley Cook because I actually thought he came across as really affable in that interview. I yeah. Like, he, seems, he seems like such a nice guy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> then you sort of told me that as a thing. But no, I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to check, check that book out and read it. But no, but I, I enjoyed that little um, making of I, I, well, that little kind of interview with him. I quite yeah. I liked him. We had to say and also that. the commentary with Donan was uh, very informative. It was more to the technical aspects of the film, the scripts yeah. and aspects of filmmaking. So and it's good. Yeah, it's good hear, hearing him speak. You know, he's yeah. this kind of like um, he's a director who probably doesn't get as much sort of notoriety as he possibly deserves. No, I don't I think mean, so. I mean, before this, I I basically only heard of On the Town and Singing in the Rain and Charade. But I feel like he has so much more yeah. span. So, yeah. Uh, Bedazzled, that's a good film. With, um, oh, I haven't seen that one, no. Yeah. Uh, Only Dolphin seen the, uh, the Elizabeth Hurley one. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Has this film been remade, actually? Or am I thinking of Charade that was remade into something else? I didn't come across this being remade, no. No. 
I just double checking. I think it might have been Charade that was remade in the early O's. I just, I just, I just put Two for the Road remake into Google and it came up with Mad Max Fury Road. So I'm going to assume that there isn't a, uh, a remake of that. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, yeah, perhaps I'm getting mixed up with Charade. But yeah, I think overall, yeah, I think this is a pretty brilliant release, actually. I think it will definitely find its way onto my favorites of the year. Uh, totally agree. Okay, so um, any news on 24 Frames Cast before we wrap up? Yes, there will be an episode dropping quite soon. I'll be looking at Timbuktu, It Follows, and um, a little bit of a look at the work of James Horn as well, who sadly nice. passed away, who I realised I haven't been necessarily... I, I was listening to an old episode I did, and I was really kind of laying into him for his soundtracks in recent years. And then when he died, I went back and I listened to all those soundtracks again, and I realised sort of I grew up with James Horner, mm. like... Braveheart was the first soundtrack I ever bought, and I, I, I sort of realised how much I loved his music in the old days. So I've done a bit of a, a homage to him. So that'll be dropping quite soon. Yeah, I love his Alien score. It's like classic. So oh, it's it's amazing. Yeah, I mean it's it's truly brilliant. And uh, yeah, yeah. I remember there was a tr- I remember there was a, a trance version of the Braveheart soundtrack that I used to hear in clubs for ages that was absolutely horrific looking okay. back but at the time i thought it was amazing like but yeah what, what, what a sad it hit me how sad that was hmm. that that he died actually it was uh yeah it affected me more than i thought actually perhaps so yeah that'll be dropping soon anyway good okay so where can we find you online uh 24 framescast.blogspot.com you can find me on 24 framescast on twitter um facebook um yeah my name is tom james a mo- if you want to befriend me there's a moody picture of me standing outside the berlin wall which i didn't actually know was being taken so that'll be one of those moments we look back in a few years uh, do you remember that moment where i took a picture of you and i'll go yeah 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 i didn't want you to take a picture and we were having a massive argument about it and our relationship will end so yeah that's uh that's <laughs> going on going on this film that's what's going to happen but that's where you can find me Good. Um, and you can find us at uh, mocast.blogspot.com. You can email us at mastersofcinemacast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at moc underscore cast. Uh, and all this is available on our website. So get in touch if you have anything to say. Uh, please leave a review on iTunes. It will help us get more listeners. And we'll be getting uh, quite a bump in our subscriptions. That's nice. Brilliant. So thank you, Tom, for joining me. Cheers, matey. And thank you for listening. Goodbye.